Should we start this baby up, I guess? Sure, yeah. Yeah. Hey, Gabe, you should do the intro this time because I've already tried. <laughs> All right. Um, I cannot say it. What it... So you guys heavily, need to remind me. Heavily caveated, completely correct. No, wait. Conditional, heavily caveated, completely correct takes. Okay, so hey everyone, welcome back to Critical Support. A highly conditional, heavily no, caveated... What, what, what are you saying? <laughs> Uh, I'm practicing. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to, yeah, so welcome, to crit- welcome, welcome to Critical Support. Your source for your source for conditional, heavily caveated, completely correct takes on basically anything. I'm so and so. I'm here with so and so. Okay. <laughs> okay. In and out. In and out. Let me let me do my uh, vocal warm ups real quick. Mame mi momu. Mame mi momu. She sells sea she seashells. Okay, he ready. can't even pick a warm up. He can do <laughs> the warm up is hard mode. <laughs> okay, and we're back to critical support. Your source for highly conditional, heavily caveated, completely correct takes on basically anything. Uh, I'm Gabe, and I'm here today with the usual cast. Say hello, everyone. Hi, I'm Preston. I'm Jacob. I'm Teresa. Yes, and we're here on Zoom, as one does in the corona era. So let's get started. We need to decide what we're going to support, who we're going to support, and if it's okay for you to support them slash it. Who has a topic for us? And also, has anyone checked the email lately? Have we gotten any emails? I checked it yesterday, and we had not. Yeah, classic. Hey, you know, whenever we get a spam email, so I've posted our email on, like, my personal, like, microblog, a.k.a. Facebook, um, and <laughs> we start getting spam emails, we should definitely start asking, should we create a Yeah, question? yeah. Every time I check it, I check the spam, and there has never been anything. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Not even good enough for spam. All right. Well, but one of, you, one of you all has to have a topic. Um, I've got one if uh, people want to give it a shot. Yeah, go ahead. Critical support for micro-apartments. <laughs> no. And, yeah, no. someone who lived in a micro-apartment, I'm a pretty hard no. No, okay, yeah, obviously, micro, this is, again, one of those things like micro-apartments under capitalism, really terrible. But, like, okay, here. here uh, also know. under socialism. <laughs> Human beings are not made to live in a space that's small okay okay hold on hear me out hear me out hold on let me this is i'm here to convince you okay so i don't mean micro apartments necessarily in the sense of like an apartment that is too small for human habitation i do mean in the sense of an apartment that does not have a full kitchen or full laundry and doesn't have like a huge enormous space so basically like a studio but like without a kitchen and and you know with more consolidated sort of sink and laundry setups my argument is that um, these facilities are often used to uh, facilitate uh, domestic labor, right? And these are necessary reproductive labor under capitalism. And under socialism, it would be necessary to communitize most of those services. So you would have you know, either a kitchen that serves the building or you would have a laundry service or you know, a laundry service that you know, either serves the building or serves... Um, you know, the floor or what have you. 
And so my argument is that when, if you, we socialize domestic labor in the way that is important to, uh, you know, liberate uh, women and other, uh, and, you know, just generally imbalanced domestic labor partnerships, and once we socialize those, those facilities aren't necessary at the scale of every apartment. And as we see also, you know, in the time of Corona, there also, it's also risk, there's risk factors involved with that. If you could theoretically deliver all the food to one place and it's all cooked there and then it was distributed out, it would be, it could be safer. And so, yeah, that's my argument. My argument is that because under socialism, there will be the socialization of domestic labor. It will be unnecessary to have these uh, amenities in every unit. Obviously, you know, you would still want to have some kind of kitchen, you still want to have some kind of setup there, but it doesn't need to be for every unit. And so, yes, that's my argument. It's, okay, so I, I totally uh, hear that uh, stuff. That's the very, I, I feel like Charles Mudede wrote an article saying exactly all this. I'm curious <laughs> if you've read that or not. Um, I think those are like very valid points. So with the coronavirus, in, in a certain sense, they're good, but I think they're, they're at like widespread micro apartments is probably the worst thing for coronavirus as far as mental and physical health outcomes because just people being in small spaces by themselves, unable to to leave for a long time is solitary confinement that's bad that's bad for your physical health that's bad for your mental health and it encourages people to leave and encourages people to go outside and spend all their time outside in public places because it's just far less bearable than anything larger than that i think if we're talking about a studio apartment that's large enough to be like comfortable to live in then it's not a micro apartment anymore then it's a studio apartment that's a normal studio apartment. I, I hear like the socialization of reproductive labor is a really good thing. And we should all have that, but micro apartments are not the way to do that. Yeah. And even, even the socialization of labor is not as, uh, is not going to be as forcible or mandatory or universal as you seem to be implying. Like, yeah, I think it would be really great if most apartment complexes had a cafeteria and there were meals regularly prepared um, that you could go down and um, and get instead of making your own thing. But you should definitely still have the capability of doing that. Like that's still perfectly yeah. fine. We don't need to sort of mandate that everybody do this. Yeah, I think there's a simpler, a much simpler and more straightforward case uh, for why one might want to critically support micro apartments. And it's like, I don't think under socialism there would be a need for them if we're following this argument. But I, I know people, I have known people that lived in like what, I don't know what the actual term prior to micro apartments um, is, but it's basically what you were describing, which is basically like a, you have like a studio, you hopefully have like a, a sink in the studio, but you like you have a communal bathroom and a communal kitchen. So like everybody on the floor shares uh, the bathroom and the kitchen that's on that floor, basically. Or yeah, a college dorm. Yeah, it's like that, but th that is actually a fairly common um, thing in like 
very expensive, gentrified, um, and dense, not, not necessarily dense, but, um, cities like, uh, San Francisco and Seattle and generally like the Bay area. I knew somebody in the Bay area and I knew somebody in, um, or I'm sorry, I knew someone in Berkeley and I knew someone in San Francisco that lived, um, in such a, an apartment. And it was like the only way that they could have lived in those cities because there weren't other options that were afford that were even like feasible. Um, and a lot, I actually, when I was, um, door knocking, uh, last summer, I talked to some people who lived in that type of uh, apartment as well. And it was like a lot of people who couldn't get apartments like regular apartments because they had been incarcerated or something like that. So I don't know. I think, there is a case to be made that it, it does provide housing stock for people who just wouldn't otherwise be able to afford to live in a city. Um, they'd be priced out and have to move far away. But yeah, I don't, that problem would disappear under socialism or even, sorry, yeah. go ahead. There's no good reason for that to be the solution though. The solution is to just to make like normal livable spaces more, um, more affordable and more accessible. And so it's like, yeah, not, not everyone needs a gigantic, you know, apartment with like a full laundry complex and everything like that. But like, I mean, you guys have seen my apartment with it's like joke of a kitchen and it's like, no one should have a smaller kitchen than that. That is the smallest kitchen that a person living by themselves should have. I agree with, I, I agree with that, Jacob, but I'm talking about what role do they currently play and what role have they played and it's like, do we want these people to just not be able to live in the in the cities of their choice at all or be homeless? Like, I'm not talking about what we should have. I'm talking about what we currently have and have had. And they're sort Press of, up. they're a bad Band-Aid solution, but, but they're not, I, I would say um, that would be the basis upon which one would be willing to extend credit support if one wanted to and i'm pretty agnostic at this point Teresa, i think that's like that's really interesting because most most or or at least a very large percent of working class people that's just how you lived in cities historically in things like boarding houses and like worker hotels where people tenement housing stuff yeah people just did live in in similar situations to that like especially a lot of men moving to cities in the western u.s would live in yeah it was basically apartments you know like micro micro they didn't call them micro apartments but i guess i would say no critical support because you're right in the sense that it is what allows people to live in the city but the companies who are and the landlords who are running uh micro apartments aren't doing it out of any kind of goodwill they're not doing it out of any kind of sense civic duty they're doing it out of a way to make money and they overcharge the shit out of these people who are just trying to live in the city and any kind of amenities that they have are always like they're, they're either shitty or overpriced. It's not like the government or like nonprofits, like, Oh, we're just scrappy trying to find a way to make it possible for people to live in the city. Like it's, I mean, I'm sure you could find examples of those in the world. I'm sure they exist. And I'm not gonna, I, I think you make a good point. It's like, I, I wouldn't want to bash the work that people are doing, but, by and large, 99% of like micro apartments are run by like scammy corporations and they're charging exorbitant rates. So 
if I'm saying, do I support micro apartments as a concept, as the, the edifice of micro apartments, the people and the corporations who run them would make me say no. Yeah, I'm more referring to the um, to just the the housing style and the sort of implications on labor and you know investment to creating the housing. I'm not referring to so you know that's why I was focusing on you know the socialization of labor. Yeah, it would be uh, going to Jacob's example of wouldn't it be great if we had apartment buildings and downstairs there's a cafeteria and you could just go get your food there or you know you could get it. Uh, or you can go down and take something back, to, you know, to your unit or what have you. Um, under such a situation, it's probably more common that, you know, if every room had a kitchen, like in any given day only, or at any given time, only some subsection of them would be used. Um, so from the perspective of uh, wanting to uh, keep that system efficient, you could have, you know, a shared kitchen that you reserve or something like that. But, you know, I also understand that, you know, some people just want to have a kitchen. Like, that's totally sensible. And, but then you, then you start getting into, like, what is a kitchen? Like, you know, do you, is it an area where you prepare food, but there's not necessarily an oven or, you know, range or anything? Like, one could still imagine a kitchen that doesn't have, like, full kitchen setups, right? Like, that, you know, something that's good for different kinds of food prep. Um, okay, Preston, like, in, in a lot of countries outside of america like they have very efficiently sized kitchens that have an mm -hmm. oven that have a range that have a microwave that have a fridge but in america they want to cheap out on those things and they build micro apartments with with a microwave and a fucking like plug-in range because it they don't care enough to build the infrastructure that's required for stuff like ovens you know because you need a hood you need like you, know, you need actual infrastructure and it's totally possible to have those things in a very efficient small amount of space, but micro apartments don't do those things. Yeah, the point yeah, at that's, a, that's a fair point. The point at which you're arguing that uh, we we shouldn't have full kitchens in every apartment because that is not an efficient use of resources. That 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 that's like assuming a level of scarcity. That's like a sort of a barracks communism level of development. Um, and it's like. Who knows? We might reach that point, but I don't think we should presume. <laughs> Eric's that. communism? That's depressing yeah. as fuck. Exactly. And so I, I, I don't think we should presume that as any kind of like, this, this would be how, this, this is what the uh, socialization of um, social reproductive labor assumes. That's absolutely not the case. So mm -hmm. is there, how are, how are people feeling? Are there other points? Do we want to vote and move on? Mm, I don't have any other points. I think I'm ready to vote also. Let's vote. Cool. I vote okay. no. I vote no. I will also vote no. I have been persuaded. I will vote no. Wow. This is, this is beautiful, guys. <laughs> Unanimous <laughs> lack of critical support. So listen, everyone. If you support micro-apartments, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> That's our official position. <laughs> if you live in a micro apartment, you can also go fuck yourself. No, no, no. No. Kitchen. That this is what you should organize for with with your neighbors. Demand a rent freeze and also a kitchen. Hey, <laughs> yes. Yes. Right, I'm, just I'm, I'm just joking. I'm joking, guys. Yeah. If you support micro apartments, uh, go take your boot licking elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so who's next? I got a topic. I'll go next. 
Okay, critical support for uh, parking tickets. What? So I'm curious about uh, what people, especially Preston, <laughs> Franzica, I see you stroking your beard over there <laughs> about what to say about this. So basically, I got a parking ticket uh, because I parked in a loading zone in front of the cruise ship terminal on Alaskan Way. It's fucking closed. The lights are off. It's locked. Nobody's there. But there's a loading zone, one minute only. And I was like, this will be fine, because I was going to Olympic Sculpture Park. And I got a fucking ticket for $50. So I had a full-on libertarian moment of just like, fuck the government. Fuck all taxes. This is theft. (laughs) (laughs) And also not getting my corona stimulus check yet. I'm like, if I can't have it, no one should. Shut down the government. (laughs) But... But back to parking tickets, I'm very aggravated, and I need to have my uh, feelings confirmed by the hive mind. <laughs> Fuck parking tickets. Yes. And all and all motion violation tickets, because I, when I used to ride my bike a lot, I got a few bike tickets. For biking? And, yeah. That's fucked I, up. Yeah, the, at, at UC Berkeley, I was, like, sort of... S- slowly with one foot like tapping the ground like going inside sprawl plaza which is no biking zone towards the um the bicycle racks and a uc police officer uh stopped me and gave me uh, a biking ticket that was 264 dollars whoa that's insane yeah because they had this whole scam oh, going God. for like for like a few months where this they like it was commonly known and like not hidden that they this was like a tactic to to raise revenue because this was when basically like a bunch of fund they were in a funding crisis for like like all public education and so the chancellor or somebody basically nudged the police to like really crack down on uh, all like cyclists in sprout plaza wow yeah fuck tickets yeah i'm not sure like i'm i've definitely been frustrated at how people have parked and i've definitely thought this person deserved to get a parking ticket Uh, (laughs) but honestly like if the options had been they get a parking ticket or i key their car i would have just taken key in their car yeah, like there was uh, when I lived up in the U district, there was this uh, this space next to a dumpster in front of my apartment building because there was construction next door that was like clearly like you know fully like those you know the diagonal lines marked off like this is not a parking spot this is a construction zone basically, um, and I walked out of my apartment one time at like ten o'clock at night and there was like a Mustang like brand new perfectly shiny. Mustang parked like at this crazy angle in that space. Right. And it was like, I so desperately want this car to get towed because fuck these stupid frat boys who think they can just throw their car. think nothing ever applies to them. Like they're the exception to to every single rule. So yeah, I would have liked to see that guy get a parking ticket, but on the whole, (laughs) like I kind of feel like community justice should just be applied. Like it should just be like, if someone does something that's truly deserving of a parking ticket, instead of getting a parking ticket, people who live there should just take a crowbar to their car. Right. And so like what you did 
um, no, no one's going to give a fuck. You're not impeding anything. So you wouldn't have got a ticket. You wouldn't have gotten your car smashed. No one would have cared. Yeah, I kind of like that. Like, if you park it legally, then your car is in a uh, is suddenly exempt from property law, and anything can, <laughs> it falls into a public a black hole of property law, and it's like, all right, well, you fucked around and you found out, you know. <laughs> like, um, gosh, like, so the thing is, as a as, per, as a person who loves buses, I also love bus lanes, and if you don't have some kind of enforcement for bus lanes, then how? You know, there's this little how do we make sure that no one drives in them? Because we well, know buses that people... should just have like a big, uh, like a snow plow kind of thing on them or like some <laughs> yes. kind of sharp thing. So people are just in a bus lane, they can just ram them out of the way. Like some kind of big Mad Max fucking <laughs> junkyard yes. racing, like, like, you know, derby car kind of shit. Uh, okay, while that would be awesome, no. <laughs> Why? Because we don't like killing people with transit vehicles. (laughs) (laughs) It can be retractable. Some people do. Um, Depends on who you're killing. (laughs) Anyhow, so if we, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think what Gabe is describing, a parking ticket, literally for the sake of, like, you know, this zone is here, you parked in it fuck you like that's stupid and yeah uh parking tickets for the purpose of raising revenue like sprawl plaza yeah act also stupid but there are times when the parking ticket does fall does you know or a traffic ticket maybe in general is used to make sure that people don't do a thing they shouldn't do like and we know that people drive in bus lanes. Like there was a guy on conservative talk radio in Seattle who was like, yeah, of course I drive in the bus lane. It'd be stupid not to. And he like said it on air and wrote an article about it. And you're just kind of like, wow, you just literally admitted to a crime. Uh, it's just kind of straight up. And well, it's not, not a crime. It's, it's not just a, a, it's a civil violation. offense, my friend. Um, okay. Sorry. It, you've just admitted to a civil offense on air. And it's just like, you know, on, on some level, that's just super obnoxious because, you know, the reason the bus lane exists is so that buses can move and not your freaking Mustang. Okay, so here's maybe a little bit more pointed of a, I mean, again, I'm talking about a, a motion violation or a traffic ticket, uh, not just parking tickets, but okay, so I completely forgot that I also got a a ticket when I was at um, Stanford for not having a bike light, um, riding at night for not having a bike bike light. And um, it started out as a $25 ticket and I could have gotten it uh, vacated if I had attended a class or something about bicycle safety, but I didn't pay it and I didn't do the class. It ended up being like $970 because I just like... And and here's the thing, that's okay. That's ridiculous uh, on its face, and um, but that is also like a scheme that you know, remember how like this was this was coming out a bunch in like when Ferguson um, was going on that this is like the practice of like a lot of local mm-hmm. uh, pol- police departments is that they raise revenue by being overzealous with uh, these types of 
tickets. And then they, if you can't pay it, it just keeps getting higher and higher and higher. And like, you know, basically just fucking over the, the working class. So I, I, I would strongly say that, that parking, parking tickets fall into this category of like really exploitative capitalist procedures. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Cause like there's plenty, there's no shortage of individual cases where someone deserves a parking ticket, but by and large, it's a systemic issue because what it is, it's creating a revenue source and an incentive. It's creating an incentive for police and governments to attack poor people and attack people in general and keep them down and keep them repressed and take money away from them, take resources away from them and their communities. It creates an incentive and it creates the ability for the government and the state to hurt anyone and punish anyone, you know, with very little. I mean, it's so easy to get people on tickets that they can do it and they will do it because there's an incentive and it's a valuable source of revenue for a lot of municipal governments. So like by and large, it's a systemic problem. And that's all true. Like I am a victim of it. It's like, what you guys are saying about how how these things operate now is all true, but I'm feeling really torn because I really believe in traffic laws and it, like people who just like violate the law flagrantly and um, think they should just get away with it inevitably really bother me on like a, a pretty deep level. And it's like you guys are not describing like the sorts of infractions that I'm talking about should be should be punished that way. But I've, I've definitely met people who would just like regularly run stop signs because okay. they thought like the, like the rules shouldn't apply to them. And so it's like under, and most and, people and, who like, do that though are generally wealthy people. Cause they think yeah, they can yeah. afford to. And, that, so. and that's, and, and that's where I'm going with this because what I'm saying is currently, uh, you know, the state is the organizing body of the bourgeoisie designed to uh, suppress the other classes. Um, but under a worker's state, uh, I would have full support for uh, the Bureau of, uh, 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 you know, People's <laughs> Bureau of Traffic Enforcement um, that would uh, be charged with just following around people in expensive cars and waiting for them to break the law. Yeah, okay, traffic why would for people, people only is fine. Why would people be driving around in expensive cars in, under socialism? Well, done, done. Well, because like we're not just going to immediately confiscate everything from everyone. Like this is this is. But we wouldn't we wouldn't we want them not to be driving cars in the first place? Well, yeah, but I mean, you're not just going to ban that immediately. I mean, I don't know. Ban all cars, kill all landlords. I mean, uh, what? Uh, anyway. Anyhow, um, yeah, no, I'm I'm with Jacob, but like it's like, wow, there are wow, well, well, so far, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if I want. You guys are cops. Yeah, um, fucking fucking cops. I, I want to give out tickets critical, to people. Critical okay, support on, for on, cops, guys. I don't know if I want to. Guys, wow. Okay, okay, how about how about this? Let's make this concrete. What about like you know? And I'm not talking like red light cams, which are definitely a scam. Like those are like, they incentivize, they particularly incentivize the cops to like shorten the yellow lights to like make it so they catch you on a red light and, and stuff. Well, like, if, like, if, we're, if we're trying to be literal, we're only, ultimately this is about parking tickets. That was the original premise. 
literally suggest parking tickets. Well, that was the that was what I said. That was that was the topic initially. Yeah. But it's related, you know. Right. Tickets in general is related. It, it, it does feel like it's grown to traffic violation uh, punishment sort of writ large. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you guys that it's like, it's all true that, you know, punitive things like parking tickets, like fines for not paying the parking ticket on time, like, uh, you know, weird incentives to avoid parking tickets and so on, like all of that is crap. But there is something where it's like you do have to enforce traffic laws because we designed the street to be used a certain way. And in order for us as, you know, a we live in a society, okay? <laughs> and 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 we need a way to have traffic laws. And the question is, if we don't do enforcement, like uh, you can do that without I mean, finding people. I mean, you can like agreed. You can okay, so for example, like, like, like what? you could stop someone and you could have a mark against them or something. And once someone gets so many marks, they have to, they, maybe they lose their license or they have to go take a class after a certain amount of time. But like, you don't have to charge them money for those things. You can charge them time and make them learn a lesson and sit through a lecture and have someone lecture at them for a while. Or ultimately you could take someone's license away altogether, but, but you don't have to charge them money for those things. There is an element of like when you're rich, you don't care about following things that are finable because it just doesn't but like everyone, at all. We all have different amounts of money, but we all have the same amount of time. Like if a rich person has to sit through a class, they can't get out of that. There's, they can't pay and say, I'll just pay my fee and I don't have to go to a class. No, you have to go to the class if you fuck up too many times. But like, time and money are ultimately... Um, interchangeable. Check. Because, okay. Because money is just uh, congealed labor time. We could have restorative justice for uh, traffic violations. Okay, what would that look is like? Is restorative justice even a thing? It is a thing, actually. I feel like it's just a term people use and they never say what they mean. No, it's a real thing. It has so what, what a program, would it look like whatever. I, I was kind of just saying that as a joke, but um, <laughs> <laughs> you got hey. you have deep sarcasm sometimes, Teresa. You're, you're deep. <laughs> you are before the panel, Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I you know I can Google it and look up what it is, um, but yeah, I was mostly saying that um, as a joke, but it's kind of along the lines of what Gabe was describing except that it's it's designed to make the people who okay it's like brings the people the the quote-unquote victim and the quote-unquote um perpetrator into kind of a kind of a communication so that the perpetrator goes through a process where they uh come to understand the harm that they've done so yeah that's from my understanding, that's that's the basic gist of it. So it's like this process where the rich asshole who, you know, like runs through the stop sign and like hits a bicycle, a kid on a bicycle or something, or even doesn't, you know, but just runs a, a stop sign in a, in a school's like zone or whatever, uh, would ha- be forced to sort of like confront the what the implications of that could be like why this is a law and why they shouldn't have violated it you know well so here's the thing like i 
I think under socialism, yeah, there will also be just fewer private cars. Like private cars won't be this ubiquitous thing that is in the U.S. In, or in large parts of the United States. And so then you're not really enforcing traffic laws. You're, you're enforcing other kinds of movement laws, like reckless endangerment while biking, which is definitely a thing, or, or things like that. And that kind of stuff, like it does feel weird to say. Like, like you, you can't really get a bike parking ticket like I mean, you could. You can uh, but then definitely. You're also that, uh, but then you're also implying that you should like we should have like registered bikes, and then it's just one of those like, hey, is it like if a bike is illegally located, you can just easily move it, right? Like you can just like well, you'd have to impound it. You'd have to take bolt it. Cutters and just move the bike. Right, but you can't. Right, just but it's move easier to do. It. It's less capital intensive. Right, like it, it's right. much easier okay, to assess true. like a direct penalty as opposed to like a car where there's just a lot of resources required to. Okay, do but that that's like just as bad as a like, parking ticket. If your bike is just impounded, that's just, as bad. That's just worse using than a as an example. Ticket. Like if that's your main mode of transportation, like and it's just taken away from you. That's worse than a parking. Right. Ticket. I mean, we would use point systems and stuff too. Uh, am I am I convinced that a point system is good enough? of a substitute to parking ticket fine. I don't know, Jacob, are yeah, you convinced I'm, by this? I'm inclined to offer critical support to like the underlying theory of parking tickets that like- You have to say, I critically support parking tickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I, 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 I am inclined to extend critical support to parking tickets on the basis that the underlying idea that small traffic violations are important, they are a significant thing that should not be taken trivially, um, and it's like, yeah, the, the criminal justice system is kind of fucked up in all of these ways that we, that, that we have detailed. And that's all true, but that doesn't take away from this underlying fact. Um, so that's, that's kind of, I, I'm not, I'm not certain, but that's, that's where I'm leaning. <sighs> I mean, so, so, so basically our friends, uh, on the other side of this uh, discussion are arguing that a point system and restorative <laughs> as Gabe checks his nails uh, are arguing that a point system combined with classes and uh, restorative justice would be sufficient to overcome traffic violence, to discourage and, and enforce traffic violations. Yeah, because ultimately uh, it's equalizing to do that. Because if you're rich, parking tickets don't matter. Driving traffic tickets don't matter. Tickets don't matter if you're rich, but spending time out of your life does matter. And that, and and obviously it's not equal. It's just more equal. It's more equitable to have that. And also, again, it's not fucking up people's lives. It's slightly inconveniencing them to help teach people how to properly, you know, behave in society. Yeah, I would argue that 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 is ultimately consistent with the idea of a parking ticket. If you get a ticket for parking somewhere you weren't supposed to park, and that ticket says you have to show up for this class and waste a bunch of your time, versus you have to pay X fine. Well, okay, I think if you're doing it justly, you want to say you have one option: you have to be there at two p.m. on Tuesday, or else it's going to be worse. You would say. We have a number of classes at different times of the day. You have to go to one. I mean, sure. like, I think, that is, I think that is better. Because, like, 
So in our society, like people are poor. People don't have fucking money to pay for shit. But like, you can find the time somewhere to go for an, a couple hours or an hour or two once in a while if you have violated the law multiple times, or if you've, you know, like, if we're assuming that like traffic laws and parking laws are valid, if there's any validity to them, okay, but like they're not so valid that they should fuck people's lives up. And, like, if you're going to have parking tickets be so minimal that they don't ruin people's lives, then, like, are they really – how much difference are they really making? I mean, it's like, oh, you get a $5 parking ticket. Okay, who cares? Like, that's not impacting anyone. If you have to pay – but, like, so I, I just think if you have it to the point where it really scares people, then it can do real damage to people's lives. But, like, people don't like being inconvenienced. People really like convenience. But ultimately, inconveniencing someone is much worse than putting them in the collections bill system. So it's like what you're describing is not no parking tickets. It's different parking tickets. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with um, that approach. I, I think, yeah, a point system where the threat of uh, revoking your license was there could perhaps be uh, a way to do this. Also, just possibly, like, proactively educating people more about, like, the consequences and why we, why we need to pay heed to these types of things, make that part of, like, the basic educational process that uh, children go through. Um, and also you know, including with bicycles and all types of fucking, even for pedestrians, like pedestrians endanger people too. Um, sometimes when they don't follow the, uh, you know, traffic rules, I would be much more inclined to, to, yeah, be sort of preventative about it. And then also, yeah, I mean, I said restorative justice is a joke, but uh, I, I actually think it would be a good alternative to, this this punitive approach in general yeah look i don't know i'm making this up as i go i don't know the fucking correct approach and the best way to do this but i know the parking tickets are wrong and fucked up no the 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 correct approach is what we determine through our uh collective discussion on this podcast gabe you know right that's that's that is what we come up with at the end of all of this. You <laughs> no, don't we don't come up with the correct with approach. We can, we just tell you whether or not approach is correct or incorrect. We don't come up with, <laughs> yeah. with the solution. If we tell you that the the approach is incorrect, we don't we're not responsible for what you do instead. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Hold up, hold up. I I with the power of the internet, I I did search restorative justice traffic ticket. And okay. I have an article from Drive nice. Smart BC titled literally Restorative Justice, an alternative to the traffic ticket. And yeah. they are proposing... Let's hear it. Uh, restorative justice helps people understand how their actions affect others to create long-lasting change. Uh, the programs are run by volunteers. Participation in a restorative justice program like this one starts with a referral by the police, which is the biggest hurdle. Okay, the Victoria Police Department is trying something similar through restorative justice in Victoria. An article in the Victoria Times, Colonist, reports that uh, Canadian Sergeant uh, implemented his idea as a pilot project 
that exchanged a distracted driving ticket for a three-hour restorative justice session on December 10th, 2017. Uh, 32 drivers ranging in age from 20 to 60 chose to participate instead of paying the $543 fine. See, I mean, that's, that's fine with me. Like, I mean, I think we need to have a real skepticism and like a healthy look at what it's actually for. Like, are they going to a three-hour class because they parked in front of a building for five minutes that they weren't supposed to, or was it because they were going 90 miles an hour on the freeway and when they were, you know, fucking kids around? Like, I think that's a real, like, what, what did they actually do? You know, obviously I can't, without knowing the specific thing, I can't say yes or no without reading this article to that. But just the, the, the concept behind it, it totally makes sense to me. I think that's great. I think that's great that that's an option in, uh, in Victoria. Wait, is this Victoria, Canada? But that that is Yep. Yeah, Victoria, Canada. But it is still a ticket. Like it is still like they got a ticket and they were told you either can do the class or you pay the money. Right. And so the way they went about doing it. that the pay the money option. I mean oh, it sounds like the way they the do pay it. the money option should go away. Yeah. I don't yeah. I think I you think guys are getting is. too hung up on the solution and and not hung up yeah. on the problem. The problem yeah. is more See, but and that's and and that's where I fundamentally disagree. I don't think the problem is parking tickets. I think the problem is poor people being penalized monetarily in order to fund the state. And that is a, that is a ticket. That no, it's not. That is not inevitable to the idea of a parking ticket. This is true. Huh. It's not okay. I think once again we're getting uh, into a situation where we're talking at cross purposes, and two people are talking about the theoretical idea of the parking ticket and two mm. people are talking about how it actually ha- operates now and yes. has operated. And so, yeah, I'm like either we just need to vote on our different ways of sort of categorizing this, or we need to decide which way we're going to categorize it and, and discuss it further. But I don't know. We've, I feel like we've been talking about this for a while. Yeah, so. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that that distinction is part of the point of what we always talk about is like, which, which, which way is the more important way to talk about it? So it's like, I feel at least that the, the meta, larger dude. idea of uh, enforcing parking laws is more important than the specific way in which the punitive criminal justice system operates at this particular time. Clearly, uh, you two feel differently. Yeah, I, uh, let's bring this one to a vote. And uh, since I seem to be the swing vote, we'll, we'll have me go last for dramatic effect. Oh, <laughs> dramatic purposes. But yeah, I'm a fucking no vote. I do not critically support parking tickets. Same here. I'm hard no. I think that supporting parking tickets is basically supporting cops and the state. Um, yeah, so I, I am critically supporting parking tickets, uh, not in their current iteration, but in the spirit of the um, the idea that uh, park, that tra- traffic laws are important and they need to be enforced and they should be enforced differently and for different people largely than they are now. But yeah, critical support for parking tickets. I will also be in critical support of parking tickets because I think it is is important as someone who works in transportation, I think it is important (laughs) that we come to a democratic decision. (laughs) More like a cop discussion. (laughs) 
we should I get some donuts for the next the next episode? Do I smell bacon Who? over this <laughs> over this Zoom call? Anyhow, so, sorry. Basically, as a transportation, as a transportation <laughs> cop, the <laughs> traffic cop, as a transportation planner who lives in a society, it is important that we are able to agree on how we use our roads, and it is important that people know when they are wrong, not for the purpose of being punitive, but for the purpose of fixing the problem. And from that perspective, I believe restorative justice approaches are possible, obviously not under capitalism, obviously to the system we have now, I oppose, but I think it is still something that matters and uh, should be retained going forward. It is a tie. Another one for the tiebreaker. Another one for the tiebreaker. Yeah. Jacob, what is your topic? Yeah, okay. So this is one I've been wanting to do for a little bit. It comes out of an argument I had with a friend of ours, um, God, about more than a month ago now, actually. Um, Is this before the... So it was on the internet? um, No, no, this was... uh, It was like, it was was the last time I'd been to a bar. Let's put it that way. Ah, oh, wow. Wow. Different era, man. And it's uh, critical support for generational politics. Yeah. You mean being like, like we're like, oh, the boomers messed up America, messed up society, and we have to live with what the boomers did. Kind of. I mean, I I think that there are, there are different versions of it that I think some some of which have more credence than others. Um, I think pulling some sort of like old people messed up the world and they have passed it down to the younger generation is like that that doesn't really hold up, but. Um, I want to defend at least some of the resentment that millennials and Gen Z people feel for those, for the, the, the two generations older than them that are still alive, uh, Gen X and boomers. Um, because I think it does have a class character. Um, and, and it has a different class. It, 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 there, there's a couple different valences of this. Um, one of which is that poorer working class people die younger. And so by by the time you get to be you know, 70, 80 years old, uh, chances are you are much more likely to be wealthy than, you know, that your same cohort when you were all, uh, you know, 35 or 25 or whatever. Um, and so that that's one reason why older demographics tend to vote so conservatively, because they tend to be disproportionately wealthy. So that's, that's part of it. Um, I also want to say that there's something politically like, the boomers and the Gen Xers, they didn't just mess it up. Even the sections on the left who were kind of trying uh, failed in really important ways and in ways like they, they gave up in fundamental ways. Like those, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if you guys saw those, those two members of the like leaders of the Students for Democratic Society who wrote an article recently castigating young people for not wanting to support Biden. It was like, you know, two members of the old left of the old new left talking to the new new left about how you guys got to get in line. And it was just like, fuck off. We are in this situation because you motherfuckers couldn't get your act together in the revolutionary moment of the late sixties to actually change society. And then, so that's, that's with regard to the boomers with regard to Gen X. I think there's a level of like Gen X is the generation without a left in some ways. 
it is the it is, is the, genera- the yuppie generation. Yeah, like the, there was no revolutionary movement. There, there there was nothing during that time. It's the generation that came of age in like the early '90s, and it's like these people failed on such a fundamental level in the sort of aftermath of the downfall of the USSR. Like we've all heard this formulation about like the historic throwback in consciousness that you know accompanied the fall of Stalinism, and it's like there was a specific group of people whose consciousness was thrown back. Uh, and it's like, sure, they are a product of their time, as are we all, but just like a little bit, just a little bit of fuck them. Um, I mean, I'm a... Oh, Teresa, go ahead. In some, ca- in some calculations, uh, I am a Gen X person, which also <laughs> means a lot, of the, a lot of people within one to two years that are incredible activists that we know um and organizers are also in that cohort so i take a little bit of exception to that critique but i'm also sort of like right on the line between (laughs) the two uh so i kind of consider myself like a hybrid um and and materially my circumstances are more similar to uh millennials than classic like gen x folks who are generally most of them are are quite a bit older than i am so wait hold on Uh, first i want to clarify which one is gen x and which one's gen y there's no gen y well gen gen y is what they called it before they came up with the term millennial oh okay oh millennial is the one after gen x Got it. And why did they use, use X? They were just like, ah, this, this one that came after Boomer. You know, I don't really know. I think it had something, it was X as like a, like a, like a nothing, like an algebra placeholder. There's nothing like majorly significant about your life, about your generation. Ouch. Yep. Ouch. Uh, anyhow. Um, or it's okay. X for like extreme. <laughs> Would be fitting for the 90s. Um, <laughs> no, I'm of the opinion, I think general generational politics taken seriously is total bullshit. Uh, it's just, like, false and wrong. But I think generational politics, I think it's fine. I think, like, resent, resentment and memes and making fun of older people and, and just as, like a, like, a feeling, I think it's totally valid and fine and funny. And I think that, like, people who get offended by it, by someone saying, okay, boomer, if, like, you're offended by that, you need to take a step back and, like, really, like, evaluate yourself, you know? But I think, like, if you're, if you're really, if you're actually being serious, then it's bad. But, like, it's funny, and it's a good meme. And there's, like, the resentment is, like, super, super valid. And, like, these g- generations aren't in the same category as, like, race or uh sexuality or gender where like making a joke about a generation is like part of this systemic system this part it's not part of a system of oppression right so i think generational politics i guess i would have to say no critical support for it because in reality i think it's like if we're being serious i think it's bad but i think that all the jokes are fine i think it's fine to be resentful towards older generations i think the memes are fine i think saying okay boomer is fine and good and funny but i guess i would have to say no because if i'm being serious generational politics are just wrong i think 
Jacob does bring up a point, though, that I hadn't considered, which is that there's just different things that every generation has experienced, right? Like the boomers had a very different, a working class boomer has a very different experience than a working class millennial. And I, uh, you know, supposing that working class boomer is even alive now. Um, but that's just, it's just true that those are different experiences and right. they, on a political cultural level matter right like there is yeah you know totally. in the millennials a different because of the different kind of experiences they had there's different cultural standards more divisions within that age that don't map quite as cleanly on for boomers uh or for boomer working class boomers right like and you need to be aware of that when you're you know talking about that subsection of the working class, just as like when you're talking about any subsection of the working class, it's to, you know, be aware. That's why you know, the, the formulation of uh, multiracial, multigendered, multigenerational, right? Uh, working class. <laughs> but that means it matters, right? It, it means it matters that um, on some level, the different experiences of the different layers of the working class matter and compose the working class. And so from that perspective, you have to care. Um, it doesn't mean you necessarily do it in like a, you know, I don't, I don't know how I feel about Jacob's like, you know, that generation screwed up. I mean, we, we do that with past generations all the time in different historical eras. The only difference this time is that they were alive. They're, they're alive at the same time as we are. But, you know, we would absolutely blame the generations that, you know, fucked up the German revolution or whatever, right? Like, and so, but I think from the perspective of like, you have to be aware of the things that different generations have experienced to, in order to speak to the working class. It, it does kind of matter. You do have to take that seriously. So I, don't, I think we, need, we should discuss it out a little more. So, Preston, so would you I'm, I'm say interested. you would give critical support or not to generational politics? I think right now I would say yes, not for the way, not for the way that phrase is usually done. I think that is usually like a generational rivalry, right? It's usually like, okay, boomer, millennial, millennial versus boomer kind of anger, which is, you know, does take on class dimensions just because the boomers are disproportionately wealthy right now. But I'm not referring to it in that sense. I'm referring it into the sense of, like, you do need to care about the things that different layers of the class have experienced. Uh, because well, I think there's a difference level, between considering different generations long enough and generational politics. Like, generational politics, to me is like a identity politics or a politics of generation is like identifying us as a generation and saying that we have different interests that are opposed to these other generations. That's generational politics. To me, that's not the same thing as taking generation into consideration and having an understanding of what different people who lived in different time periods experience. That's not, I don't know, to me, that's not quite the same. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm open to that being wrong. And, and also, we should um, take into consideration the fact that this whole classification system of generations was put forward as a marketing strategy. Right. <laughs> um, yes, and, it was. There. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I think that thinking about generational cohorts in a materialist way, I think that's fine. But yeah, the way that I see quote unquote generational politics deployed, 
uh, for the most part, is kind of detracts from uh, a class-based analysis. And, and, and on that basis, I'm, I'm somewhat hesitant to extend critical support. Okay, so one, one of the big impetuses of me wondering if there was something here that wasn't just like, you know, that, that maybe we shouldn't just be dismissing this, was actually looking at the age breakdowns of votes in the Democratic primary and seeing like 80-20 splits for, you know, 80% of people under the age of like 30 voting for Bernie Sanders, 20% for Biden, and then that exactly inverted of people over the age of like 65 and just wondering, like, what is that? What, what does that mean if not that there is a principal antagonism here between two generations where it's difficult not to feel like we, like, like Bernie Sanders lost the primary because old people didn't get it. And, they, they, and it's like they you know, had to sort of pull the ladder up after the mentality of like, I've got mine, fuck off. We just want a nice centrist who will make us feel... Um, fuzzy and, you know, warm and fuzzy inside again. Because we don't have material things to worry about. No, not so much that they don't have material things to worry about. But But they they think they don't. They so fundamentally misunderstand what is going on in society. And they are so bitterly resentful of young people who want to make a difference in the world. that I mean, it's like, this is why I uh, will never vote for Joe Biden. Like there is zero, there is zero chance that I will vote for Joe Biden, um, even though I, I don't necessarily feel that way about Democrats most of the time. Like it, it, I, I'm usually a bit more sensitive around that, but it's like there's a sense of bitter resentment. Like the Joe Biden's nomination is just a slap in the face to an entire generation of people, and it's like, no, fuck you, we're not putting up with this. Um, and it's like I, I do feel that there's a generational politics is kind of like identity politics in that it. It assumes an antagonism that isn't materially there, but it has. This is what I was trying to say. Like, it has a class valence to it. Where it- okay, but 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 just 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 back that up a little bit. There's a couple things. One, it's partially we can attribute that to what you were saying earlier of like working class people don't live as long. And there's there's a, a part of it is there, but the second part is like like identity politics. Those kinds of things all have a lot of truth to them. Like you can be like oh, look at how many white women voted for Trump. Like, a lot of white women voted for Trump. So you try to make this argument about identity politics on the basis of gender, right? So, so all of the different sort of identity categories have a lot of truth to them. There's a lot of correlation between these things, like white people being shitty. Like, that's, there's a pretty strong correlation there, and there's a lot of examples. And there's, there's not something fundamentally different about being older that makes you opposed to someone that's younger than you you know there's not something fundamental yeah i I think that's why i'm reticent but not uh resolute is that i think that this type of a materialist a marxist like historicist uh analysis of generational cohorts is useful I think it's useful, um, but I I don't think the way it's often deployed is in that vein. Like, the majority of the time, it's not deployed in that vein. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, I would absolutely extend cr- critical support to a Marxist materialist analysis. Obviously, that's kind of redundant, but uh, of <laughs> generational cohorts 
but the category for me, quote, generational politics is, is not, it includes a lot of really liberal and status quo analyses. So I, I'm on that basis again, once again, I, I just don't know if I could do that extend my group support. Yeah, no, I, I really feel what Jacob was saying was like, it does feel like an enormous bitch slap to just not, right. to, to, for, um, especially considering all the difficulties that millennials have voting. You know, they move a lot. They know it's difficult for them to register to vote. There's no non-ageist reason to assume that young people should, would vote less than older people. It's just an ageist trope that, um, you know, young people don't vote when in reality it's like, oh, there's just a lot of difficulty in getting young people to vote. Also, young people are getting worked to the bone because that's they're, they're predominantly working class, right? Uh, or falling from the middle class into the working class. But yeah, like I, I think that's I think that gap that we're seeing that that you know between your over sixty fives and your under thirties, like I, it, it appears generational, and in a sense it is in the because you know just time moves forward. Um, but I think more real, more sort of realistically, it's more just the class situations that each of those are experiencing at this point in time, right? Like everyone under 30 is like the new labor that capital is desperately trying to squeeze money out of. And so they're getting absolutely crushed. Everyone over 65 is wealthier just sort of because they survived this long and then they don't have that same interest. And, and even the ones who uh, might be, you know, but like, and the thing is like, there's just not too many of them that are, you know, struggling enough to, to want to move away from that center of gravity. You know, I, I think there is also like a, a social pressure aspect to it too, right? Where, you know, um, if there's enough of these older people saying, oh, you should vote for Biden because of the material conditions, then the ones who don't even quite fit that same material condition will be, are in those, more of those, that same social circle. And they're sort of sucked in by that argument. And you can argue kind of vice versa, like on the Bernie side too, you know, it's, I think it's just magnified. You know, it, it, uh, it takes what would have been maybe like a 60-40, 70-30 split and just blows it up to like an 80-20 split just because of the social contact of, of the generations per se, right? But yeah, in terms of this idea of, yeah, what Teresa was saying, like it's not, you know, assuming that these generations are naturally coming to blows is only true in the sense that like it's a proxy for how capital accumulation works, Right, the longer you're alive, the more time you have to accumulate property. Um, whereas, if you're not not been around that long, it's pretty hard to do that. Um, so, I think I think that is a better explanation for what it is than like sheer ageist generational bitch slap. Should we bring this one to a vote? Are there other points in it to sort of suss out here? It looks like Jacob had another point. Yeah, not not really. I'm just kind of, I don't know. I'm finding myself feeling kind of undecided. Like it's, I just think there's uh, something there. This is how, again, this is how I feel about it. I feel like the resentment is valid. The memes are funny. The posts make sense. It's fine to talk about it and feel that way. And people really shouldn't be offended about it. But if we're going to be serious, if we're going to be serious and do a real materialist analysis, it's wrong. It's just not correct. So I'm, that's why I'm not giving my critical support 
to generational politics. But I think it's fine to joke about it and have that resentment. I think that's totally valid. Right. And I guess where, where I'm at is just, I, I don't think it's wrong in that fundamental of a way. I think there's, there's, there's a grain, there's more than a grain of truth to it. It's not like the sum total of what we're talking about. It's not like millennials are the working class and boomers are the bourgeoisie. And that's just the way it is. But I don't know. I, I think that the resentment has a, has a distinct class character to it. And yeah, I, I would extend very critical support to it. Yeah, I might be, I don't know, I might be in that same boat because I, I agree that that we could absolutely do uh, a Marxist version of generational politics and that that would be fine, that would be good. So what I'm hearing My is hesita- no, no critical support for boomers. <laughs> I mean... Uh, no okay, boomer. I mean... There's a lot of people in that category that I um, care about (laughs) individually, so that's hard to say. But as you right now, what's that? We might be in the same room as you right now. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but I don't know. It's it's a tough one for me because yeah, it just depends. Again, once again, it just depends again on what we're how we're defining it and. I mean, and the other thing, too, is that it can be kind of compelling. You know, it's interesting to think about these things. It's kind of almost like astrology, you know, like in the sense that you're like, oh, how much do I fit my uh, like this um, description of what my generation like is? And, you know, how do how do I differ? Oh, how much? I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I will say if we're talking about. Uh, a materialist analysis of generational cohorts. I would support that. I guess no critical support to the broader category just because it's usually not in that vein. Although, I don't know, Jacob makes a good point that there is some sort of implied class analysis. I don't know. I guess I'm I'm abstaining. I don't know. I actually identify as a uh, Slytherin millennial Virgo. So I, <laughs> um, I think yeah, these, these identities are fine. I'm going to social distance punch you through the computer. <laughs> are you really a Slytherin, Jacob? Jacob would be a Slytherin, yeah. I see. No, it. you'd probably be a Hufflepuff, actually. That's... You would be a Hufflepuff. Really? Definitely. Mm, nah. What is, have you done the Pottermore test? Have you have you read any of the books, Gabe? I've read all the books multiple times. Thank you, okay. thank you very much. No, there is a Jacob, t- not a Hufflepuff. Uh-uh. I would say Raven a Hufflepuff Claw. or a Ravenclaw. Yeah, Actually, in as much as those that that four way distinction of like types of humans is like deeply fallacious and stupid, I've always thought that I was probably a Slytherin. <laughs> That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's, uh, yep, that's in the same way as astrology is. So critical point. support for Harry Potter? Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, oh, no. God. No, 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 no. I will, is, I will support for you through the looking internet. at the entire world through the lens of Harry Potter? Is that what I'm hearing? 
Gabe, you live like eight blocks from me, and I will go strangle you. I will. I dare you. Come over to my house. Break the quarantine. I'm here. Come find me. Up on me. Bring it. Wow. So anyway, Teresa, have you decided how you're going to vote yet, or are we? Uh, um. Are you still- I mean, I'm. I think I'm abstaining. Okay. Can I do that? Yeah. There's no abstaining. I, I will on this wait. Show. Yeah, there is. Pressed- we just pressed. Oh wait, there are abstained. Never used it. Have I abstained? What? I okay. I don't think anyone has abstained, but I always assumed there was abstained, and you should totally be able to abstain. Of course, you can abstain. You should always be able to abstain. Okay. All right. Fair okay. enough. Fair enough. I'm gonna, fair enough. I'm so I vote no. I vote I yes. Teresa, yes. was that a yes or a no? I I still can't. Teresa abstains. Oh right, Teresa abstains. <sighs> Man, well, think about I, this. Do you really yeah. support generational politics? The end of the day, do you really support it? <laughs> In a generational split of a vote, no. Um, yes, I will you. vote no on generational politics for the same reasons as gay. I think, I think like literally everything about it. Like I, I even enjoy the fact that OK Boomer has a slight classist angle. But I think it's also very easy for that to shoot off into like old people suck, uh, which is not uh, the way we want, should want to encourage in uh, evaluating the world. So no, I, I do not lend my critical support to um, generational politics. So I just want to make a note that um, the way this vote shook down, kind of. Um, uh, in some ways, might be said to be in line with a no vote because the oldest person and the youngest person were very similar in their uh, takes. And in general, Gabe and I tend to sort of vote similarly. And Gabe is like, I'm like technically old enough to be Gabe's mother. You could definitely be my mom. (laughs) I'm a baby. Gabe's yeah. mom has got it going on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wasn't actually because of when I started menstruation, but maybe that's... <laughs> that's very... In- oh, that's intense, Teresa. I don't know that I really wanted to know that. That also is kind of surprising. I don't. That is very surprising. No, Teresa, actually- do you know how old am I? How old am I, Teresa? 23. Oh, okay. So you know how old I am. All right. Well, oh, wait. Actually, maybe it's not because of that. Maybe it's because of uh, when I became sexually active. It's one or the other. But I did. <laughs> you not- don't remember? Wait. <laughs> don't don't women start menstruating at like 12 or 13 or something? I didn't start until I was 16. So. Oh, okay. But hmm. I did the math at one Good point. Preston's like, I don't believe that. Hmm. <laughs> So you wouldn't, you couldn't have, one way or another, you couldn't not have been my child. Although theoretically, like someone of my age could be your mother for sure. Okay, so from now on, when we say your mom to Gabe, we're, we're now officially <laughs> canonically referring to Teresa. Canonically. So, like, you're not my real mom, but you're my canon mom. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there we go. Head canon. This is the head canon of critical support is that oh, God. Teresa is Gabe's mom. 
This is taking such a weird fucking turn. <laughs> hey, you wanted generational politics. You got yeah. it. This is generational <laughs> politics. Right. So, okay. Okay, so Teresa was offering a refutation of generational politics based on the fact that um, the possibly the like borderline Gen X and the borderline Gen Z person are voting the same way. <laughs> like what? Like what actually is the line of Gen Z now? I mean, Gen Z. I've heard people say 1995. I've heard people say 2000. I'm 96. Oh, okay, so you're yeah, you actually are in that ambiguous category then. So yeah. I feel like like I generally consider myself a millennial. Like growing up, I was always told I was a millennial. I don't personally, I hang out with people who tend to be older than me. Like I don't hang out with many people who are younger. So the people who I hang out with consider themselves millennials. And we talk about things that millennials talk about, I guess, but, <laughs> but, but at the same time, I am a little bit, I'm at the very bottom. So I could be, I could be a, an elder statesman Gen Z, or I could be a baby millennial. Depends on who you ask. <laughs> I think in terms, I think it's much more about like just the cultural vibe that you embody in. And so it sounds like you're more of a millennial um, just because of who you hang out with and speak with. Like I'm not on TikTok, you know. There you go. Like that's That's very probably Gen the Z. dividing line. Yeah. Like, were you born <laughs> after 9-11 and do you use TikTok? Right. Like, yeah, I do remember 9-11. That though. Or like, do you, do you remember 9-11? Right. Or... Or do you use TikTok? If you were born after 9-11, you're definitely Gen Z. Yeah, like, yeah. If you, if you remember it, then you're more likely to be a millennial, I feel like. That, that actually makes sense because I, I think there's, there's definitely a, there's a difference in mindset of people who like distinctly remember before 9-11 and people who don't. People that they're all like, 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 I, like I have a distinct memory of studying U.S. history and we weren't at war when I was studying U.S. history. There was not a war actively taking place. And that is not the case for anyone, you know, under the age of, I don't know, 25. All right. So uh, no critical support for generational politics. Please uh, go ahead and make all the boomer memes you want. Um, but, uh, but just be aware. Boomer, okay, boomer is not a slur, but it is not a replacement for class politics. Indeed. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay, well, dear listener, thank you for taking, uh, wasting another perfectly good hour and a half with us, um, trying to get the correct perspectives on everything. Stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, tune in next time. Bye. Bye. See you later. As far as my eyes can see